0: M- Merkel. Media.
1: And before it became an uh, an air force base, it was whatever, you know, army or navy, and they would do experiments down there. And supposedly the experiment went awry, and they had to seal that room with people inside of it. This was all circulating around the base that a giant had been killed, but no one was supposed to talk about it.
0: I saw three long bony fingers reach up underneath the door, curl up to grab it, and then disappear. When he came over to me, dude, he slithered over to me.
1: And this giant comes out of the cave, and they're all frozen. And he starts running and firing at this giant. Well the giant moves, he's got a spear in one hand, and he's running really fast, and spears... Dan pulls him up like this. Somebody else, shoot him in the face, shoot him in the face. They basically decapitate him. Got closer, got closer, got closer. When he got about 15 yards away from me, I raised that 12 gauge and i
0: blow this head off. I feel something pulling at my leg. And I look over and there are two small gray entities pulling at me. And they're literally, I'm getting pulled off the bed
1: reached my hand into this bush and i touch air couldn't breathe and i couldn't move because i know i'm seeing a monster
0: yeah Welcome to the show, everybody listening to The Confessionals. I am your host, Tony Merkel. Thank you for being here. If you've had an encounter or a story you'd like to share with me on the show, go ahead and shoot me an email. My email address is the confessionals at the com. That's the confessionals at the com. Or go to the website, the confessionalspodcast.com. Hit the contact section. You can reach me that way as well. Either way works for me. Just get a hold of me. And if you want more on a weekly basis of the confessionals, go to the confessionalspodcast.com. Hit the join button and become a member because every Thursday we drop a bonus show for members only on the website and the app. And there's instructions on how to get access. Access to the app on the website for members. So go ahead and check that out if you're interested. The Confessionals at the Confessionals Podcast.com. Also, go ahead and go to Prepare with the I've been heading to that website myself recently with my uh, future endeavors, but it is a great site for you guys to prepare for the emergency, the unplanned in your life. That's Prepare with the Confessionals.com. You'll get yourself emergency preparedness, food, and survival gear right there on that website. Prepare with the Now, friends, if you want, head on over to the YouTube channel and make sure you hit subscribe because there's a few things coming down the pike on the YouTube channel for the confessionals. One, I just dropped my second episode of Legion of Legends. It's called Haunted World War II Prisoner of War Camp Gone Wrong. Go ahead and check that out. I just dropped it last week and I hope you guys enjoy it, but there's more on that YouTube channel. See, I am heading to Kentucky this coming week to hunt the infamous Dog Man from episode 335, Dog versus Dog Man with Kyle. We are actually visiting the location that this incident happened and we're spending four nights in the Daniel Boone National Forest and we are going all out trying to draw this thing in and either get it on footage or bring in a body. I have no illusions that it's going to be easy, but we are going to go out there and do it. And hopefully we accomplish what we're going for. On the way down there, we are going to be, I say we, I am going to be live streaming on the YouTube channel For people who are following. So go and make sure you're subscribed on YouTube and hit the notification bell so you're alerted when I go live. I'm leaving around 4 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, and I'll be live streaming throughout that trip and on the way back. So go ahead and head on over to YouTube and hit subscribe for the confessionals on YouTube. Now, friends, this week we have an overtime show with Chris. Now, this was an awesome time talking to Chris. This whole week is going to be focused on Chris. He is going to come on today and talk about area 2, not Area 51, not S4, Area 2. He talks about a lot of different things during this interview, talking about shadow men, cat men and ufos and a bunch of other things like portals and things like that And in the overtime we get into his experience with a satanic seance more ufo stuff government military stuff with the incidences and deep underground military bases we go all over the place today with chris and then on thursday we're going to have him back again to wrap up his experiences this is going to be an awesome fun week for everybody and i hope you guys enjoy it and if you want more of this kind of stuff when it comes to ufos over military bases head on over to my other podcast hammer lane Legends episode 27 UFOs over Fort Carson. The link is in the description of this episode but right now let's get to Chris right after the trailer for the overtime that we did with Chris. Let's go.
1: He, the individual that's working with uh, my friend's wife, tells her that he has a secret so she's like, what? what's the secret? So he's like, my uncle was a contractor uh, in Vegas. And he got a job to build some sort of containment, like a fence containment, like near Area 51. So Area 51 contracted him to do work. So he didn't necessarily work for Area 51. He wasn't a part of it. He didn't have any secret clearance or anything. He was allowed, from what I was told, to use... Certain facilities in Area 51. So he was allowed to go onto the property and go into, like, the chow hall and eat or use the restroom and things like that. But he wasn't allowed to talk to anybody there. So according to the uncle, there's scientists in the chow hall. There's, you know, cops. There's other military individuals in there. You know, they all have different badges with different clearances and he's not really allowed to talk. Again, not allowed to talk. You get in trouble, like literally, and this is not the first time I've heard this, but in the child hall, they cover the windows. So you can't look outside the windows. Like you're not allowed to look outside the windows. Some people speculate it's because they do tests of aerial vehicles and they don't want people to see them, you know? Um, But everything is shut and you sit at your own table. And the way they have the table set up, what I heard is you sit away from people. So you don't sit like facing them. You always sit, sit in a way where you're facing away so you don't spark conversation. Um, and then in line, when you go to get whatever food or whatever, you're supposed to be a certain distance apart. But as you know, sometimes things get lax and things get overlooked. And apparently he was in line with the scientist that was in front of him. And the scientist knew who he was. And asked him, like, you're the one that built that containment unit. They called it a containment unit. That's, you know, whatever, wherever it was outside of Area 51. And he's like, didn't know what to do because he was not supposed to talk to anybody. So he kind of nodded his head, you know? And the scientist was like, do you know what that, what that's for? And the, the, the guy nodded no. And he's like, well, and he whispered to him, we're doing, uh, this genetic experiment, which is the hybrid thing I was talking about where they they splice the DNA of two animals and he pretty much told them that that's where they keep this thing and that essentially they keep it in like this containment unit outside. They put animals in there and monitor the hunting pattern of this supposed hybrid type creature.
0: All right, today we got Chris on the show. Chris, how you doing, man?
1: I'm doing good, my brother. Um, it's an honor to be on your show, Tony. Thank you.
0: Well, thanks for reaching out and stuff. I always like hearing from guys like you who spent time in the military and wants to share some experiences that you had while serving. Uh, and that's what we're going to do today. And you know, you have a lot of different things you want to talk about. Uh, you, in the email, you were really brief. You gave me a link to an article that was written about your story to read. And you said in the email, you just said, this is one of many incidents in my life. And in the, in the uh, subject line, you had said, too many to list, UFOs, paranormal, hybrid creatures. And uh, we talked about it and stuff for what, I'd say about 30, 40 minutes here. And uh, I'm really excited about talking to you. I'm really excited about hearing your experiences told through uh, this show. And I know that people are going to enjoy it. So what we're going to do is we're just going to start off on the, the military base where you had your first experience. And I'm going to have you just start there and feel free to zigzag and go back in time to, you know, other experience you might've had as a kid, if you need to, to help describe the situation or whatever, the time is yours, my friend, go for it.
1: All right, my man. Um, so this is, uh, late nineties, uh, 98 to be exact. Uh, I joined the military, uh, probably like around late summer, probably around June. Um, it was the air force. So, uh, you know, you have to go to basic training and they send you to Lackland Air Force Base to do your training. Um, Initially, uh, I was going to go in as what they call a nuke surety inspector, which means I would have kind of went to all the different bases that had a weapon storage area that had nukes or missiles, you know, any sort of like weapons. And I would be kind of like an inspector, make sure they're following protocols and all of that. So, you know, the government being the government, uh, they pulled the fast one on me and Essentially, they told me I wasn't qualified for that position. And the only position they had open was to be a cook or to be what they call a security forces member. Um, And because I already had moved everything out of my house and, you know, pretty much we were staying with family and I was ready to, to join. I mean, my only option was to, like, you know, not join until I can get that position or another position or just go for it. And so I decided just to go for it. And so I did uh, my basic training and my what they call tech school, which took about six weeks. Um, during that time, uh, the military was having issues with with members quitting or not doing their jobs. Morale was kind of down because they were sending troops that had families to places where they couldn't bring their families, i.e., you know, Middle East, because we were going through we were having issues with you know the Middle East at the time. And so they decided to make sure that they send troops to, that had families to bases where their families can go. And then if they had to go what they call TD, TDY, you know, which is to get shipped to, you know, to do a little mission here and there, then, then they would do that. So I wound up staying longer than I should after tech school. I should have just shipped out to a base, but it took a while. So anyway, uh, after two extra weeks of being essentially in tech school, I got stationed at Nellis Air Force Base in Las Vegas. Um, when I found out I was going to Nellis, it never clicked Las Vegas, Area 51, S4, you know, near Roswell, New Mexico. Like it never really clicked to me. I just, you know, in the moment, you know, I, I, about doing my job, getting my time done, my four years, and, and maybe staying longer if, if if I wanted to, and then you know getting out. So, um, I wound up getting there like around September ish. Okay, so during that time, if you were a security forces member, there was three different security forces type jobs, okay, or you can call them genres, subgenres, whatever. You had a uh, long security, short security, and law enforcement. Now, not every base had all three. Some bases had one, either security. Some bases just had law enforcement. Some bases had both. But they were also trying to phase out, uh, the, sh- the short security and just condensing it into just security in general. And then I found out later on they wound up just condensing everything together and you didn't have law enforcement or security. You just pretty much were a security forces member. But while I was going, they had those three. So I was considered a long security. Um, and, Nellis has what they call a WSA, a weapon storage area. Okay. Um, It's outside of the main base, which is Nellis. And it's called area two. Okay. So people hear that area two, you got area 51. They don't understand the correlation. Like what is it? But apparently uh, I don't know if they did this on, in every state that had a air force, but, they broke Nevada down into certain areas and quadrants starting from area one all the way to whatever uh, number um, area 51 happened to be the place where they sent out this pilot to kind of scour the desert for a place that they can build like this clandestine base, you know, that they denied for so many years until recently, you know, they came in. And when I mean recently, I think it was in the nineties when they finally came and admitted that it existed, but you know, so that was the quadrant called Area 51. So I was in Area 2. Um, when I first started, I got the what they call the the sh- shift, the crappy shift, which was the, the nighttime shift initially. And then, you know, uh, there's constant change all the time. So I went from that to being a daytime shift. And, you know, you work uh, 12-hour shifts. And usually the schedule is like a combination of three days on, three days off two days off or it can be whatever combination, but in in a nutshell, you're working a lot, you know? Um, and I'm in the desert, you know, it's hot at certain times. And then other times it's, it's super cold, you know? So this is like, again, late, late in the year, uh, before the holidays, before Thanksgiving and before, uh, Christmas in 18 and 98. So I don't know how to really just, I don't want to go into too much detail. Like I said, I know this time constraints, but, um, the weapon storage area is, is pretty big. Like when you first get there, it, it's huge to you. Um, but after you get to know it, it's not as huge, but it's still big. I don't know the, the mileage. Like I want to say it's probably five to six miles wide. And then deep, it's probably like seven, eight miles. If, if you look, if you were to find the map of what area two looks like, um, it's kind of like the shape of New York City. Like it's kind of like a oblong cigar shape, sort of a, an area. Okay. Uh, when you, when you get there, there's three fences surround the whole area. The weapon storage area is connected to munitions, which is kind of next door. But the main focal point is the area because of what it has, you know, which is nuclear weapons and other things. Um, the silos are above ground silos and they're camouflaged with grass growing on top of it so that if anything flies over, which there shouldn't be anything flying over. Um, but just in case, you know, we were under attack, or whatever, you couldn't really see where the weapon storage areas are. And it was I, I can't tell you probably like 12 to 20 we- uh, silos. Um, that were in this area. Um, you had what they call an ECP entry control point, which you had to enter and you had to be checked out by the individual that was in this like little, uh, box room. Um, that would like check you out. And if there was a vehicle coming in, he had to go through like this, uh, this vehicle area where they had to check out the vehicle, make sure there was no bombs and no weapons. And then as soon as you enter on your right hand side was, uh, the main building where you had control. Uh, and control were the people that monitored the cameras because there was tons of cameras all around the area, monitoring everything um, inside the fence line, outside the fence line. Then you had uh, what what they called whiskey patrols. Whiskey patrols were the perimeter, I guess, uh, security or defense, you know, um, and they would be I don't know how many of them were, maybe 12, 14 of them. And they were strategically positioned. Throughout the area on the perimeter of it, on the inner perimeter, I should say, all the way around. Um, There were markers, numbers, from, like, the first marker where the first patrol would be at, and that patrol would cover that marker 1 through, let's say, 20. And then the next patrol, which would be considered, uh, they they were called whiskey patrols, okay? So you had whiskey 1 through, let's say, like I said, whiskey, let's say, 12. So whiskey 1 would cover 1 through, let's say, 10. Whiskey 2 would cover 10 through 20, and so on and so forth. So you you didn't have a section that wasn't being monitored. You had sections that would be monitored by at least two patrols at one time if they needed to, okay? So that was the, the inner perimeter. You also had what they call fire teams, which was two, at the time, two Humvees, okay? Inside the Humvees, you had four members. The four members were two individuals, well, three individuals with... No, two individuals were M-16A2s, which became AR-15s later on. One of the AR-15s or the M-16A2s had a grenade launcher on it, the M-203. You had an M-240, which was the saw gun. One individual had that, and you had a person that had the M-60. And those fire teams were able to roam around anywhere they wanted on the inner perimeter. Okay? The whiskey patrols was always two individuals in a truck, one person with a uh, Like I said, an AR uh, 15 or M16 by itself and another one with the AR 15 or M16 with the 203 attachment on that. Then you had an outside perimeter, which was called the Oscar patrol. Okay. Um, they would circle or patrol the outside. They also had two individuals, the same as a whiskey patrol, two M16s, one with the 203 attached to it. Okay. And, uh, And then you had like, you know, your, your flight chief, the flight chief was kind of like the head coach of a team. Like he was the guy who assembled the whole team together right before, you know, the, the shift started, you would find out where you were going to be, you know, uh, put, you know, uh, whether you're going to be a whiskey patrol or a fire team or whatever. Um, and you know, he would disseminate any information and whatnot. It would, it would be done inside this building. Like when you enter, like I told you, on the right would be the main building where control was. Also, the flight chief's office would be there, but on the left was the armory. And I worked on flight for a little bit, meaning I did security patrol, but then I wound up eventually working for the armory. So in order to arm up, you would have to go into the armory, and there would be either one or two armorers in a a room that had all the weapons in there, and they'd give you all the equipment that you need. But attached to that room was another room where the flights would, would meet and disseminate, like I said, any information. So, uh, you know, I'm brand new there. I'm learning, you know, the ways and whatnot. And, uh, and so, like I said, I don't, I don't want to go into too much detail. Let me fast forward. Uh, so let's say this is around, I don't know, uh, like right before Thanksgiving, uh, we're out in the desert. The area two is located like in the valley. So you have mountainous, walls of mountain around us, um, the backside of area two, uh, there's nothing but like desert and way in the distance, you see mountains. Also, there was a gypsum plant. I want, I believe maybe about five to 10, maybe more miles where you would see the smoke, uh, of, of them, you know, trying to extract the gypsum from whatever, you know, uh, uh, resource they were doing, um. I can't go into detail on that because I don't know much about gypsum, but I know that it's used on, you know, all types of products and things, you know, all over the world. But there was a plant there and in the daytime you would see the smoke. But like I said, on the sides of the the area, it was nothing but mountains and like we were in in the valley. The Oscar patrol was able to take a certain road up onto this, I want to say like a cliff area. That would look down into the backside of Area Area Two, okay? So that's significant. Anyway, so I want to say this is like yeah, late late ninety late ninety eight. Uh It's winter time. The shift is like six a.m. to six p.m. And then since security and law enforcement's twenty four hours, there's no time where there's not somebody you know on the clock. So in order for us to leave, we have to get relieved by another what they call flight, or another group. So uh this would happen like at six PM okay. Now out there in the area, like by five thirty it was pitch black dark. Like it it would get dark and it would start getting cold. Um the lighting in the area was very dim, obviously because uh we don't want you know the military doesn't want attention drawn to that because of the significance of what we're guarding. So the light was was pretty dim. And uh, so I was one of the whiskeys that was uh, put in the back section of area two. So I want to say probably the the south, the southeast area. Okay, so on my right hand side, I can see the munitions and then munitions eventually gets cut off. And then, like I said, there's nothing but that desert, you know, out there and you see mountains on nighttime. Because the lighting is dim in the area, you know, the light poles, they're not super bright. There's not a lot of light pollution. So you see nothing at nighttime but stars, like blanket of stars. And you can watch them until they disappear behind the mountains. And you can tell they're mountains because you can see the shape, the silhouette of it. That's how many stars there are. You can actually see the the silhouette of the mountains. So this, e- this one evening, you know, um, one of the patrols that was next to us, contacted me and my partner. Now my partner was the senior airman, okay? He was the higher ranking airman. Um when I got into the military, uh I was what they call a slick sleeve. I didn't have a rank on my on my shoulders, okay? Um you have to earn those, you know, as you as you progress in the military. So he was what they call an airman first class at the time. So he had two stripes on his on his shoulders and the other patrol that was next to us, I think they had just airmen, which is one stripe, two of them. So he was the senior ranking uh, at the time, um, airman. So the other patrol uh, called to meet us at one of the points. And, you know, in any job, you know, you take breaks sometimes, you know, and, and we're allowed to take breaks as long as we don't take them too long because we have to be vigilant and do our jobs, you know. Um, so, there would be times where you hear patrols calling other patrols to certain areas just so they can, you know, shoot the shit, you know, just talk, or whatever, exchange information, you know, whatever. So I want to say this was around like 545, like 15 minutes right before um, the shift change. Okay. And we're on the backside of area two said it's nighttime, nothing but stars out there. And uh, we parked our cars where if something were to go down, we can easily just jump in and go our separate ways and, and handle whatever we need to handle. And we were like, all of us were out of the truck and the two individuals were pretty much sitting on the hood of their vehicle or leaning on the hood of their vehicle. And we were leaning on the hood of ours and just having a conversation. And dude, out of nowhere, uh, we see a sequence of three lights in a triangular pattern flash like two times. One at the apex, one at the bottom left and one at the bottom right and it happened twice now the light was like super bright i'm talking it, it made the the area we were in almost like if it was daytime okay and the, the the whole the whole experience lasted like probably 3 4 seconds but we all stood there not talking for about a minute or so just staring in that area. Now, I wasn't able to talk to these other individuals in detail about what just happened. Because it happened and we were like stunned and nobody was saying anything. But it was weird. It, it was almost like if I can read their mind and they could read mine and we were all saying in our minds, like, what the fuck just happened? Like, what did we just see? You know? And it wasn't until, like I said, about a minute or so later that one of the other troops that was like at the end, you know, um, like whispered or or said under his breath, "Should we call this in. So the individual that I was with, the airman I was with, he's a senior guy. He said, yeah, we have to. So he wound up calling it in. So he called it into control, which I said, they monitor the cameras all around the area. So he called it in. And at first they... Asked to repeat because they didn't really understand what we were saying. Um, So he repeated himself. Yeah, there was a series of lights out here, bright lights out here and and behind, you know, whatever market we were at, you know, in the desert. And right away, the the flight chief, like I said, he's like the head coach. He gets over the radio and he says, don't move. I'll be right there. So right away from what I heard. They shut the ship chains down, like they never do. Um, the the other flight that was already like armed up, ready to go and take our place, they were not allowed to get in vehicles or do any of that stuff. Everything got shut down. So uh, the flight chief came out to see us first, said, where did you see these things, these lights or whatever? We pointed in the direction. He assembled a team, which included the Oscar patrol, which was the outer perimeter patrol, and himself with, you know, uh, an officer that was also there um, to go out there and check things out. It took about a half hour to 45 minutes before, you know, they started, they initiated the, 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 the shift change. Okay, now they told us. You're going to get, you, you're going to get your replacements, but we don't want you leaving. You got to go to the flight chief's office right, right after you, uh, disarm and you turn your stuff in. So, I mean, I know I'll, I'm new. Or, I'm, I'm shitting bricks, man. I, I just started, you know what I mean? And I don't know how they handle things like this, you know? And I'm thinking to myself, man, I, I, I wish I would have told this guy not to say anything and we just could have kept it to ourselves. But, you know, it happened. So, um, we did the shift change and, And so we, all four of us, we're in the flight chiefs, like not office, but we're in the room outside of his office and we're told to fill out statements, you know, of what happened. So we're each filling out a statement and uh, he calls each one, one by one, uh, to tell their account. So I wound up going in there telling him my account and then he had us go right back outside and and finish the statement. So we finished the statement. And then he called all four of us back in there and he told us this never happened. Um, you're not to talk of it, uh, you know, during duty off duty t- t- for sure. Not online with anybody because nothing happened. Today was just a regular day. You know, your, your vehicle stalled and that's why you're coming home late. You can't tell your family or anything, you know, so you can you can't say anything. So from what I understood, the statements that we filled out were supposed to go to OSI. I mean, because it's serious, you know, something serious went down. You know, you had somebody a, what's or a, something.
0: What's OSI?
1: Office of Special Investigation. So okay. OSI is essentially the FBI of, of the military, particularly the Air Force. Like there's rumor that the FBI came out from the OSI. Like the FBI was was spawned from uh, the OSI, but I could be wrong. I'm pretty sure you might have somebody contact you and tell you if I'm right or wrong, but that's what I've heard. Okay. So, uh, when, when you have stuff sent to OSI, it's it's a big deal. You know, it, uh, chances are they're going to contact you and you're probably going to get like the same thing. Like this never happened sort of stuff and, and threatened, uh, most likely, you know what I mean? Cause you're talking about, you know, it's a sensitive, sensitive area, you know? Um, so that happened, but let me go back a little bit. Cause like I said, I, I never was able to talk to uh, the other three individuals. One of them became like friends with friends of mine while I was there in the military, but I lost contact with him. And I, and obviously I won't give out any names or anything cause out of respect, I won't do that. But I, like, we never talked about it. Even when we hung out years after, we never even talked about it and even brought it up. But I remember after the lights did their little sequence and they were kind of, uh let me describe the light. They were amber when they were dimming and they were white when they were like at its height of its, uh you know, uh, I don't know what you call it, the light, you know, the, and I mean, like I said, it was like, you know, almost like daytime and it was three of them, but I, I couldn't see a definitive object. OK, I couldn't see a definitive shape, but I did notice that there were stars that were blocked by something. There was a, a mass, like a dark mass that was blocking the stars out. And I couldn't. And I, I I think maybe I was trying to look for a shape, um, but I did not see any definitive shape. I couldn't tell you that the lights were in a triangle formation, but I can't tell you definitively that it was affixed to a triangular object it could have been square circular cigar shaped i i i I, can't, I couldn't tell you but it did remind me the the darkness of it of that mass of my first ufo sighting um in the mid 80s uh when i was living in new york city um if if you don't mind i'd like to tell that story
0: yeah go for it man go for it
1: all right so uh i we had a conversation before this, Tony, and I told you, you know, um, I've had a lot of experiences when I was young and, you know, I was born and raised in New York City and I wasn't really interested in like the UFO phenomenon or crypto stuff. I did see clips of certain documentaries and TV shows, but it wasn't until my first sighting when I was like, you know, early teens. Um I was, uh my mother and my father were divorced uh, when I was five. So um my father remarried. And he lived uh, in the same borough, which is Queens. I lived in Queens at the time, and my father lived in Queens as well. But he lived in a section called Q Gardens, Queens. And he had remarried, and so I had a stepmother and step siblings. And, and, step-siblings. and uh, I want to say this was like afternoon. I was I was at his apartment, and uh the apartments weren't like they weren't tall apartments. Like they weren't. I want to say at the most they were three stories, but I want to say they were two stories high, and. Um, each apartment building had probably three apartments on each floor. So if it was two stories, you're talking about six apartments. And if it's three, it's nine apartments, but I want to say it's two and they weren't really high and the neighborhood had trees, but they weren't like really tall trees. Like it, it wouldn't obstruct your vision of looking at the sky. And, um, and if you're talking about New York, you know, it's, Major pollution there, but there are days where you can get clear blue skies. Where I guess it works out, where there's not a lot of pollution being created that day, and, and you can see clear blue skies. So this was a uh, like an afternoon sighting. Okay, so um my my father's apartment. You walk in, and you're in the dining room. As soon as you walk in, and straight ahead is the kitchen, and then there's a wall on your right hand side, and it's not a long wall. It's probably like maybe five feet in length. And as soon as you pass that wall and you make a right, you're into the living room. And, and in the, when you're standing there looking in the living room, you can see the back part of the apartment and the window was what they call a panoramic window. So it wasn't like a bunch of windows with a wall in between a space in between. It was one large window with little thin panels. Okay. And the window wasn't the type of window where you lift up, you know, it's the type where you crank open. So the apartments were were pretty old, that they had those type of windows where they crank open and, and the window kind of goes outward, okay? And so this was wintertime because there was snow on the sill outside of the window. So there was a windowsill outside and a windowsill inside of the apartment. And they were equally like the same uh distance. They were probably like three feet, okay? So uh at times I would go to the window and I'd look out the window, just look at the sky or I'd play with toys or whatever this is you know again like pre-teen teenager and I used to see planes and helicopters and you know this is the 80s dude so you know I was into like ninjas and and comics and and you know sci-fi and all that but I was also into like planes you know this is before I joined the Air Force and it's kind of like a you know weird that I wanted to join the Air Force later but I used to have posters of planes you know jets and everything so I've seen different types like you know, a planes and aerial vehicles. So I know what a helicopter looks like and a jet and an airliner and all that looks like. So um I used to play this game stupid, but, you know, I would see a plane going from, let's say, right to left or left to right, you know, and on a horizontal plane. And, you know, I would watch it seeing how slow it goes and I would close my eyes and I'll try to open it where I think the plane would be like determining speed. And, and so I remember seeing this object coming from my far right, and it was dark, but I couldn't see the shape initially, and it was coming like really fast. And I wound up, I wound up like trying to play the game with this thing, and I wanted to close my eyes, and I opened it up, and I couldn't see it. And then I finally spotted it to like my far left, and it was like this c- black cigar shaped object going so fast. And uh, the only way that I can describe it is like if somebody took the blue sky and cut a cigar shaped hole in it. And you see nothing but black mass. Like, like it looked like a, a, a portal, like a, like a, like a, like a portal that was moving. Cause it, it, it's just so dark and black. And I've never seen anything like that. And, and I remember like my dad calling me to, to eat lunch and me just turning around for a split second to acknowledge him and looking back. And that thing was just gone. Like, it like just disappeared. I don't know where it went, but that was like my first sighting. So that incident that happened at Nellis like reminded me of that because of the, the the black mass. And so yeah, that that's the that's that story. I mean, there's a little more to it, you know. If you have any questions, but yeah, that's pretty much that story. You know, like me and three other people saw some crazy shit. I'm in the desert man,
0: <laughs> yeah, well, what was the final result there when it came to talking to the officers and and you know submitting your report and stuff? I mean, was it something that kind of followed you throughout the rest of your career? Was it like you know that's it it's done with
1: it, it, that was pretty much it, and it was done with um I was surprised that like o s i never contacted us, but uh throughout the years, you know you hear like rumors and you know. I'm very good at judging people. So when somebody tells me something and I get to know them after a certain amount of time, you know, I can tell if they're, you know, blowing smoke, you know, but there was rumors that my flight chief and other security forces members that were working there worked at Area 51 and they worked at, at groom, what they call groom lake. Um, and the rumor was that, you know, uh, my flight chief, I can't give his name out, um, had connections still and that he, pretty much uh called off what they called off the dogs as they say, you know? Um because I I, I felt like he liked me, you know, like he knew I was, you know, uh I gave a thousand percent every day. Um and I don't I don't think he wanted me to have to deal with that. So I the rumors are that he called the dogs off. He called O S I off. right he like he made a call or he contacted somebody and said, you know, it's taken care of, you don't have to come. So you know, that sort of thing. So after that, really, like I said, uh, we never talked about it, about that specific incident, but I did inquire at times with other people that I worked with about incidents that they may have had. And I think maybe doing that caused some problems for me while I was there at Nellis, you know? Yeah. Um, I can't say definitively, but, you know, uh, things just don't happen just because you know what I'm saying? And, yep. uh, you know, it, maybe it was a mistake of mine. Uh, maybe I should have just kept my mouth shut and not even inquired about it, but you know, uh, Nellis, it, the base itself, is very mysterious base, bro. If, if, if you saw it back when I was going and I'm pretty sure even before I was there, the very beautiful base It's well kept, but like many people say it, it's, it's, a dog and pony show I don't know if you know what that means but it's essentially it's pretty on the outside but there's things going on on the inside that people don't know yeah. about and and that's everything from you know personal stuff to like everything from paranormal and and, ex- and and other stuff and a lot of that stuff is swept under the rug or or kept hush hush or you'll get in trouble <laughs>
0: All right. Let's talk about a sponsor for today's show, which is HelloFresh. And every time I do one of these things, I start craving the food and I'm begging my wife to make HelloFresh that night because it is delicious. I love it. And I get hungry talking about it. Listen, friends, HelloFresh is going to help you save time when it matters with the meal planning, the shopping and all the chopping. And they'll save you money in your pocket because they give you pre-portioned ingredients that are exactly what you need. So you don't have to worry about spending money on food that you want wind up throwing in the trash because you got too much. And speaking of saving time and where it matters, it is back to school season. Many of you are parents and you have kids going in and out of school and you really ...are crammed with time in the evenings. HelloFresh makes it easy for you to make sure that you can have a great meal with your family, but also spend time with your family. Up to 50 menu and market items to choose from every week. From vegetarian meals and calorie-smart choices to extra special gourmet options. They're all prepared by professional chefs and nutritional experts. Go to HelloFresh.com Confessionals14 and use code Confessionals14 for up to 14 free meals, including free shipping. That's HelloFresh.com slash Confessionals14. So uh, when it comes to this incident that we're talking about here, uh, one, I wanted to ask you how, I mean, so as somebody who's not in the military, I've never been in the military. I just talk to people like you. Uh, I don't have a real good gauge as to distances and stuff. I've never been to uh, anywhere out there on the West Coast except for San Francisco one time. Uh, so I don't even know if you consider where, where you're at, uh, West Coast there for Area 2. Yeah, but, it's West Coast. Okay. Yeah, So it's West Coast. I'm not sure what the distance is between Area 2 and Area 51. Could you enlighten me on that? Do you even know?
1: I don't know the distance, but I will tell you this. And this is where I told you, man, things get kind of get a little crazy sometimes, you know, um, there, we have a flight line out there that's between Nellis air force base and area two. That's a flight line. And that road that the flight line is on leads to area two. Now, that's the road that's on the base that's connecting the base with area two, but there's a road outside of the base, like a, like a, a freeway that anybody can use. And then, and then there's a separate road that leads to area two as well. So you can enter area two from only two ways. Really. It's either through uh, the the road that's on the base that connects the base or the road that's off the base that's available to anyone. Right. So um on the flight line, beyond the flight line I should say. There's this building. Like inconspicuous building. All glass, dude. Now there's no buildings like that really at Nellis. Like there's no buildings that are all glass. But this building's like off in the distance beyond the flight line. And it we're told not even the 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 uh operator of the base, the the main guy who runs the whole base, the officer, the general, can go to that building. Like he doesn't know what's going on in that building. Nobody knows what's going on in that building. You're not allowed to go into that building. Okay? Now if you took binoculars while you were working on the flight line, and I've done that before. This is years later. Took binoculars and you look at that building, there's not a lot of cars parked there. And you don't see a lot of traffic coming in and out. But you do see men with black suits and black sunglasses going in and out of that building. And you don't see that on the main base. And obviously you don't see that in, in area two, there's no need for people like that there, you know, but apparently behind that building is a road that leads to area 51.
0: So basically you're saying, yeah, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Finish what you're saying. I'm sorry.
1: Well, because no, no, it's okay, bro. Area 51 and S4, or whatever, is considered part of the Nellis range. It's all Nellis. People don't. A lot of people don't know that. I mean, people that follow you, that are into ufology, will will know that. But if you, like the individual that I contacted, you read the story. His name is Robert Hastings. Um, awesome individual. I suggest maybe one day you should have him on your show. He, he would blow your show up. I think he's an awesome individual, but. He knew about it as the Nellis Range when I when I told him that he he told me like surprisingly like, wow you know not a lot of people know that you know it's the Nellis part of Nellis so it's not a separate entity per se it's part of Nellis it's all part of the Nellis Range so yeah it it's it's all connected so it it can't be too far from from where I was working you know what i'm saying
0: yeah do do you so i mean are are you hinting at the assumption or the possible assumption that that building might have some kind of maybe underground expressway to such areas as fifty one or or I should say area fifty one or S four?
1: I, I did not hear anything along those lines, even though it wouldn't surprise me. But again, I told you, dude, I deal with definitives, and I can't definitively tell you that. All I could tell you is that the rumor was that there was a mountain. That was next to Area Two. That supposedly is hollowed out, and there's things going on in there. I know people again; I can't say names that took a trip and found a trail, like a a a trail, but it was you could tell it was a, a vehicle trail that led straight to the side of the mountain. Like, and and it it led right up to the side of the mountain. Like, why would why would there be a road? that leads to straight to the side of a mountain and there's nothing there. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. there's, you know, you, 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 you let your imagination play around, but you know, like if you have anybody that's worked at Nellis around that time that I worked there or before I worked there, they'll tell you it's, it's a very mysterious place. And it's got energy, a lot of energy, uh, positive and, and negative, but it's got a lot of energy. A lot of things go on there.
0: You know that that road or that that trail that leads to the mountain and kind of just from what you described it sounds like it, it just stops. Uh I've heard of I've heard of these mountains out there and some people say they have witnessed them actually open up. Uh do you think that's a possibility? Yeah. I mean, I know it's <laughs> speculation, but do you think it's a possibility? No, no,
1: I th- that's I'm glad you said that. I'm glad you said that. I didn't want to say it first. I'm glad you said it. Oh, I'll say, it anything, I'll say anything,
0: bro. I'll say anything.
1: No, and I appreciate it. But that's the thing, though. It's like, no, nope, the people that are going to listen to this don't know me. You know, so I can if I said it first and then you said it, you know, it could come off as like, oh, you know, you're, you're piggybacking off of what I said. No, yeah. I'm glad you said it first because you've heard it. That means somebody else is talking about it. But yeah, they it, the person that went to that side of the mountain could have sworn that that side of the mountain looked like a door (laughs) that, that the part that that where the road ends, it looks like there's cracks that could be like a door that opens up and, and go in there, you know? And supposedly that's what S4 is supposed to be. If you, if you follow Bob Lazar's story and not only his, because, you know, he's the highlight of a lot of those stories of what went on in area 51, but there's others that have come out that don't get the spotlight. Like he does that have said the exact same things that he has said. And that's that S4 looks, it's built into the side of a mountain and there's entrances that you don't see.
0: Yep. Uh, I've I've heard very similar things. Uh, I've I've had people tell me that they did see them. I, I forget who this was. I, I don't want to say it was this certain show because I don't remember if I talked to this person off air or on air. But uh, I remember hearing somebody tell me that uh, they had seen a mountain open up and they were calling it a portal at one point. But as they described it, I, I thought it was more of just their vernacular of how they're describing it. Um but they talked about helicopters flying into a mountain. And uh like, black, like black helicopters. Yeah, like like the, the mountain opens up and they fly in. And that just goes along with what you were discussing about how uh the thought is that these mountain some of these mountain ranges might be hollowed out. And uh that's I mean I'm fascinated by this stuff, like deep underground military bases. uh, This kind of stuff uh, is the kind of stuff that gets my mind turning. Um, It's it's just it's really fascinating to me Uh, with what you saw. You've had time to think about it, and this is completely speculative, but I'm sure you've thought about it, at least the possibilities of it. Do you think what you saw, and we're going to get into your other experiences at the other base or maybe the other location, I'm not sure if it's a separate base, but uh, I want I wanted to ask you some more stuff about this. Do you think that there's a possibility that the lights that you saw, is there a possibility that there could be any kind of foreign government with technology trying to spy on what we're doing?
1: Okay, so this is where I make more connections, Tony, Okay. About a year, maybe a year and a half before, before I was at Nellis, you had the Arizona Lights Incident. Do you remember that?
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely.
1: Okay. Now, when, when people say the Arizona Lights Incident and, you know, you, you, uh, watch documentaries, they'll interview someone like Lynn Katai, Dr. Lynn Katai, because she's the one that, even years before that, was taking pictures and stuff of weird orbs and, and, uh, Arizona area, you know, but the story doesn't start in Arizona. Okay, <laughs> the story I believe starts in California. That same that same evening, early evening in California, it was when they when radar was picked up uh, of of this craft. And from what I understand, it traveled from California through a bunch of states, including Nevada, and then ultimately wound up in Arizona, and the Arizona lights is that plural light it wasn't just that scene that you see where you see the lights turning on and off over over i think it was phoenix that's not the the lights is indicative of more than one craft that was seen that night people don't know that um or they choose to neglect understanding that that people saw different types of craft that night but it didn't start in arizona it started i think believe in cali and it went all the way all the way over so in saying that this is also the same time that ben rich who was uh the the i guess the head of uh lockheed's gunk works made the comment of us having technology to take us take et back home i don't know if you ever heard of that but if you haven't i suggest those people should look that up because ben rich isn't a guy that excuse the expression fucked around he wasn't You know what I mean? He had a lot on the line and I guess he died not too long after that. So maybe you call like a deathbed sort of confession, but he made, he alluded to us having technologies. Now, what I, what I saw, what I and these other individuals saw that night, I couldn't tell you anything's possible, right? Because, uh, we had the SR 71 blackbird flying around and people thought that was UFOs. And we, we have like, stealth bombers that were flying around years before and people thought that was UFOs. So could we have technology that's more advanced? Especially if you look into the story of uh, Dr. Philip Corso who was an ex-military guy who handled the Roswell crash items and actually gave them out to specific companies so that they can work and create things with them, aka fiber optics and all these other things that we deal with now technologically. Like You know, everything's all like I told you and you got fired up when I told you this, that there's no separation between, you know, paranormal, cryptozoology, ufology, spirituality. It's all connected. They're not separate. People want to separate them, but they're not. So it's all connected. You know what I mean? So who knows? That's basically what I'm saying. You know, I don't know. I wasn't contacted by anything or anybody that told me definitively what that was that, that we saw that night
0: yeah and i'm i'm what glad you? you I'm glad you said that because uh that's something that I feel too and I, what you just said you know is is opinion based and it's certainly of my opinion as well uh I feel like these things that we deal with on this show and the paranormal it, it, like that's why i when I say I have a paranormal podcast, it encompasses in my mind all this stuff because at certain points like you have individual stories. And those individual stories are very singular from the perspective of the person sharing it. But what we do with the show and what I hope people are gaining from it is that you're able to connect dots from people's stories where you hear something that's a cryptid story with Bigfoot, Dogman or something, and you you hear their, their perspective. You hear what they said and what they experienced in that situation, but they'll give details that tend to bleed into other topics and you're like, "Well, I heard I heard this description of this Bigfoot characteristic of this story described elsewhere. Maybe it was in a, a UFO story." Or sometimes you hear people talk about the UFO sightings uh, followed by Bigfoot sightings like within within moments. And as I look into things and as I hear people's stories, even down to the spiritual side of things, when you talk about uh the 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 hierarchies within government, and uh, I hate to even say government because that that that's too lower level for me. Um, the the the, the bigger than
1: government, dude. way bigger,
0: way bigger, but it's way bigger. But like the, the 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 those who actually run the world right now, you think you have separate governments? That's cute, but the those who run <laughs> the world, the the satanic element of it. And I'm not talking about the the softball stuff where where guys you know they, they're Satanists, but it's more they're just they're atheists and it's more of a rebellious nature and stuff. I understand that. What I'm talking about is those who truly believe these dark arts and they practice them. That stuff bleeds into other people's experiences, whether it's directly connected as far as like they experience the black arts or they say a, a characteristics of of an experience that bleeds into somebody else who said something similar when it came to Bigfoot. And that's why I'm really glad you said what you said, because it it really, in my mind, I'm like, there's a lot to this. And I think that they, these, these topics and categories overlap a whole lot, a lot more than people are comfortable with probably.
1: Well, you have to understand, uh, Tony, that right now, as you and I speak, there's somebody in this world that's coming up with a plan to do something extremely horrible. And it's not, it's right now, as you, was, you and I are speaking. And yesterday, while you were doing something and I was doing something, again, somebody was thinking of some doing something completely off. Because we can't be everywhere at one time. We don't know what's going on 24-7 everywhere. We can only control within our circle. So, you know, there it's not just, like you said, it's cute to think that there's one government controlling things. No, man, screw that. There's a cabal, if you want to call it. I hate using the generic names like New World Order, Illuminati, blah, blah, blah. But there's a group of people. I don't know how big they are, but they have a lot of power and influence, and they're the ones playing chess, and we're the pawns.
0: Yeah, you know what I mean. And the pawns die first. So.
1: Yes, <laughs> that's they're the first to freaking go.
0: That's why I'm I'm such a pessimistic person. People like <laughs> uh, when I when I get ragey on things and stuff. You know, I'm like I'm not the person. Tony, I'm,
1: I, I don't want to tell you I don't want to tell you how to think, but don't be pessimistic, bro. You know, because each one of us has the power to change things in our own lives. And then that energy connects with other energies, connects with other energies, connects with other energies. We just got to get things on the right track. You know, like I understand how you feel because I felt that way for many years, dude. I'm going to be 48 in August. I grew up in an abusive household, dude. Like my abuse lasted 30 years bro. it wasn't until like my late 40s that I finally broke that abuse. Like, I should be on that level of pessimism and all that, bro. Like, don't feel that way. Like, you got a family. that That's who you got to do your shit for, bro. You know what I mean? You got to fight oh, for that. Oh, yeah. No, you bro. I, and I've... you always got to think, hey, I'm going to win. You know what I mean? And But you're not going to do it alone. It's going to take a lot of people. And you just got to keep pushing the message, man. And eventually people will get on. I don't see it as the world ending, bro. I just see it as a change. No, I and I, I Not an ending, I'm,
0: you know? I'm totally, I'm totally in that mindset. I, I just think that uh, the way things are right now, the way the way society is, culture is divided. Uh, if things were to continue down this path, I don't have much hope. But that's why I do what I do. I, I, I obviously, I'm very active on a lot of different things, and I have different platforms where I speak, speak out of thing on things, and and that's why because somebody, somebody yeah. has to. Somebody ha- has to put their neck on the line and start speaking <clears throat> out and uh, hopefully rally the troops up and people start doing it. You know, They, they get the, the stir in their stomach to start doing it on their own individual level with the people in their lives. And that's how we affect change from the ground up. We have to change the culture and the mindset from the individual level and then push forward. Um, that's the way I view things. I
1: got you, brother. I understand, so, man.
0: So listen, I, I don't want to go too far off topic here. Uh, I want to, I want to kind of hit on before we wrap things up for this first segment. And you and I talked about it beforehand, and we're going to do an overtime segment where uh, who I, I I honestly think that this overtime segment could be uh, two hours. <laughs> I don't know, but uh, we're we're gonna really we're really just gonna go off on the overtime segment. But uh, you mentioned earlier, and I want to kind of have you hit on it, and, and feel free to just share what you know uh you heard about other people's experiences around uh area two and what they had uh i know we've i know you've mentioned before about how uh shadow people are involved on area two uh strange claw marks popping up places there there's different things that have happened, not just these u f o settings Can you go into that at all
1: yeah um okay so there's dude i mean for some reason it seems like i'm Either around or things happen to me, or I'm around things that happen to other people. But, um, okay, so, you know, like cryptids, you have all these different names. Like the king of, of, of cryptids is Bigfoot, right? You know, we all know Bigfoot, Sasquatch. And then, you know, you can maybe say Loch Ness Monster second. And then you have all these others, you know, Chupacabra, which is probably the, the rookie of all the cryptids, you know, cause it's the newest one. But then you have like Goatman and Dogman. But there was this, uh, the lore, I guess, or rumor of this thing called Catman, <laughs> And it, it sounds silly, just even me saying it. But when I first heard about it, I started laughing. You know, I'm like, Jesus Christ, another cryptid, you know. But I understand, you know, people have their way of describing things that they see. You know, like I can't, you know, diss someone because they describe it a certain way. You know what they see. you got to listen to what they have to say. But, okay, so Nellis, uh particularly Area 2, But Nellis in itself wasn't always an Air Force base. I heard in the past there was, I think, a Marine base and I think a Navy base or it could be an Army base and a Navy base. I don't know. Uh, Supposedly there was training that was done there. And like I said, you have mountains on the sides, and at times it can get really cold. And I heard a rumor of uh, a training session that was done where these individuals were set out into the mountain and they wound up freezing to death out there. They wound up dying. So you have that, you have that aspect of it. And you could sometimes see the ghosts of those people. Um Also in area two below the main building that I told you about, there's this little section where people would put supplies. It's like a, I don't know what you would call it. it. It's got like a huge metal door. I don't know why it has a metal door, but it has like this huge metal door and you go in and you could pull supplies out of there. And they had like this, this I call uh, uh, like a mannequin dummy thing that they would use because we would do these things called exercises, you know, and these exercises are like training scenarios in case somebody attacked the area, what we would do and how we should act and the thing, you know, all this and that. So we would do at least one, every, every time we were on shift, at least one very rare. We didn't do one, especially the, our flight chief, he was gun ho and sometimes would do two of those. And I'm talking you're running in a hot desert with tons of equipment on, sweating your balls off, even at nighttime, because and and you had to be on point. If not, the critique was like crazy, you know what I mean? So that one room where all the supplies was, like I remember being sent down there <laughs> to get something, and just the energy, as soon as you open up that metal door, it just hits you. It's like thick negative energy. So I remember one time going in there to grab this dummy because we we're gonna do an exercise and this is in the daytime, you know what I mean? Um, probably afternoon. And I go in there and I have this weird sense that something is looking at looking at me like something's watching me. I don't I don't know what it is. And the room is not like super huge. I wanna say it's probably, you know, ten feet by fifteen feet. It's not super huge. It's got a lot of stuff in there. But I I wound up Scaring the shit out of myself because I'm, it's dark in there. There's no light in there. And I shine the flashlight and you see this pair of feet, but it's the dummy. Okay. (laughs) So I scare the crap out of myself. So I grab this dummy and I'm cursing myself. This stupid dummy. I don't know why I gotta even carry this thing. But as I'm leaving, something tells me to turn around. And I turn around. It's like this black form just like there. Uh, and I'm adjusting my eyes because I'm thinking maybe it's something else, you know, a prop or something. And it starts to move like towards me, and I just like get the hell out of there, close the door. So I I didn't want to say anything to my flight chief because you know I'm I'm, you know this is after that one incident. I'm I'm not trying to get in trouble even any worse, you know. So I didn't say anything to him, but I mentioned it to another person that was there, another like uh, airman, you know, somebody on my level about it. And he had been there for years, and he said, yeah, supposedly that room behind that room. Uh, behind the wall of that room, there's an elevator supposedly that goes down to an underground facility. And before it became an uh, an air force base, it was whatever, you know, army or Navy. And they would do experiments down there. And supposedly the experiment went awry and they had to seal that room with people inside of it. And supposedly the experiment was like this, some say it was like a, to create a weapon, you know, some sort of weapon and the weapon exploded and, and it was, it, it, caused radiation and they had to seal it. Other rumors say that it, it was a hybrid program going on down there where they took... I'm sorry to laugh when I say this because I know people are going to be like, what the hell? But supposedly they took the DNA of animals and they mixed it with other DNA of animals to create like this cre- this weapon creature, this creature weapon. Now, people can laugh at that, but again, I go to history. Supposedly, Hitler wanted to create an army of super apes. I don't know if you know about that. Yep. Okay. Okay. So you know about that people who follow this sort of stuff will know about that. So it's not out of the question because it's, it's happened before. Plus you have to think of science. You know, they they've been able to grow parts of humans on animals, right? Like they grow an ear on an, on a, on a, on a mouse and stuff like that. So there's, there's science being done into, into manipulating DNA and all that. So it's not out of the question. So supposedly they created this hybrid creature or creatures, I should say, that wound up escaping. And so uh, when I first got to the base, one of the things that I was shown in the first few months that I was there was these claw claw marks that were on uh, the door of one of the uh, above ground silos. And it's distinct, it's claw marks. It's not like an accident happened. And No, these are like, legitimate four finger claw marks on one of the doors of these things. And the rumor is that it was one of these creatures. So one night I'm working in the armory. I'm not working on flight no more. Uh You know, when, when you start in the military, you can move up and do different jobs in that same, I guess, uh, uh like genre or category of job you're doing. Um You can branch off and do other things. And so armory, was one of the positions I was open and and I got to know the the person who ran the armory. He became essentially one of my mentors, you know, a great individual and he wound up hiring me. So I wound up working in the armory and basically my job is I'm in this room with a bunch of weapons. I got to make sure that they're clean. I got to make sure that they have all the parts to them, all of that. I also give the weapons that's assigned to certain individuals, make sure that I give them all the equipment that they need, all the ammo, et cetera. And when they're done with the shift, they have to give me everything back. And it has to be in working order and, and in good shape, clean, et cetera. So that was my job. And then I had to make sure the books, as far as, like, numbers, like, inventory of of everything in the armory was on point. So that was my job, essentially. And, again, the the job wasn't, like, a nine-to-five always. You know, I could work days. I could work nights. You know, work four days in a row. You know, things like that. So one night, uh. I'm working, I'm in the armory, I'm I'm by myself, okay, and I get a knock on the window. And what I mean the window is we have a window that has a door that opens, and that's where we assign the weapons. So nobody physically comes into the armory to get weapons because there's weapons everywhere, and, you know, you, you still got to be careful. You understand? So, you, you know, there's a window, we open it up the person gives me their card or if I know them already, I already know what their weapon number is or whatever. And I give them their, their, their stuff. So I already had already, um, uh, given the flight, I guess, all of their equipment. So they were already out there. So I get a knock on the window and it's like frantic and I'm hearing conversation between two people. One person's like, was that real? Did did it really happen? Did you hear that? So I'm thinking like, what the hell, you know, uh, at first I'm thinking they're messing with me, you know? So I opened it up and it's the, the, the group that's the Oscar post, the outside perimeter, uh, uh, group. So it's the two guys, right? One of them is pretty much almost brand new. The other one had been there for years, but one is brand new. He's sitting in the chair. He's got a blank stare. He looks white as a ghost. And this dude is telling me that they were sitting outside of the perimeter, like up on the, the Bluff, they called it the Bluff, which oversaw, I told you, it's a bluff that oversaw the backside of the area. So it was above the the Area 2 backside, and you could see all the way the back. You could see oh, pretty much almost the whole area itself, and you could see into the munition side as well. But there's a road that leads up there, and they said that they were parked almost going up to the bluff. They weren't all the way up, but they were almost up, and they parked there because it's dark, and let's be real, you know, cop's. You know, we tend to take naps sometimes when <laughs> we shouldn't take naps, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, It happens, you know, my brother's a cop, you know, you know, you, you take breaks when you shouldn't really take breaks. But, you know, it's a part of, life. you know, even at regular jobs, people take breaks when they shouldn't. But these guys decided to take a break. Now, they were in a Humvee, because that's the fire teams and the Oscar patrols all have Humvees, okay? But this Humvee had an issue. It didn't have, a like, a you know the top where the m60 m60 sits that top part that like a little hole on the top well when you don't have an m60 up there there should be a cover for that right you're supposed to have a cover for that like to cover the top of it like you know what i mean um but this one for some reason was missing the top and i guess there was a uh they were going to get a new humvee eventually it was in the works with the top on it because i guess maybe the top broke and so these guys are driving around essentially with, you know, a rooftop, you know, but not, you know, not supposed to be that way. So they're sitting and it's around maybe one, two in the morning and they hear a roar, like a screech slash roar that shook the Humvee. Okay. And they did not want to get out of the vehicle. with, They just took off. They almost, they told me they almost drove off of the bluff. Because they only had one way to go. Because, I mean, when you drive up the road to drive up to the bluff, it's very narrow. So once you get up to the top, there's enough space for you to do a U-turn and come back down. So they drove up to do the U-turn, but like, they were so scared that whoever was driving said they almost drove off the bluff, which would have been a disaster. Like, they would have died. They did a U-turn, and then they sped all the way down, and they didn't see anything but scared the shit out of them and so they claimed that that was the cat man you know um <laughs> so that's one of the stories right jeez of the craziness that went there you know like this weird and, and i'm telling you dude like uh beyond area two there's nothing but vast deserts there's mountains with little trails that lead to different parts and then there's this really weird section that i i don't even want to use the term alien but it looks alien it's got like the There's this part of of, uh, this area back there that the sides of the mountain has like these catacomb looking section to it. Like these little like mini caves, one on top of each other. Like, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like a, a, it's like a hive, like a, like a, like a beehive. It's it's so weird looking, but it's things like that. Like that's so creepy out there that at nighttime, you just don't want to really be out there, you know? Um, I've been Oscar patrol before when I was on flight and I hated it. Like even during the day, I hated it because it was just so creepy because, you know, you, you find the spot to hang out and, and you're at the mercy of whatever can creep up on you. You know what I mean? And, yeah, you know, you know you have your radio and you have a weapon. Yeah, that's great. But I mean, if you don't know something coming at you, you know, and you panic, you're in trouble. You know what I'm saying? Even if it's not like paranormal or a creature, even if it's like a, a, an enemy, you know, like a terrorist or something, you know, you are you're, you're at their mercy, you know? So yeah. uh so that's one. So and uh, I was there for that. Get back, get back.
0: What you're saying is with the alien way it looks like it's alien, maybe it's where they film the uh the Mars landings, you know? So <laughs> I'm just kidding though. I'm just kidding. Uh I Bro, don't, I mean not, who knows? Who I mean, knows, right? So I I know there's there's a lot of thought about that, but um I, I did hear about the the idea of, you know, design cryptids, you know, like taking two two different animals and and creating a a hybrid creature uh, done by our our military for weaponization. And uh, I've heard instances of them releasing them out into the desert where they're at. And they have these some kind of devices on them where I I don't know if I don't know how it works. They track them, they they track them, but they can also call them back. So like they release them out at night. (laughs) And then when when it's time to come back, whatever this device is, it brings them back. Whether it's uh right. they have like I, I don't know. I don't know how it works and how that all would work, but I've heard about that. Um now I'll tell you what, man, I this was a fascinating first half of the conversation. I'm really looking forward to getting into it on the overtime where uh, we're going to talk more about this stuff. We're also going to talk about uh, your, your experience over at Creek Air Force Base and uh, more UFO stuff where you see uh, something shoot a beam at the mountain and what the mountain did I found very fascinating. Uh, but we're going to get to it in the overtime segment. So uh, if you're a member, head on over there. It's already published and uh, we'll see you over there. Well, that's the show, everybody. I really hope you enjoyed it. And if you did enjoy it, please share the show with your friends. I don't care where or how you share the show. Just share the show. If you enjoyed it, text it to people, social media or word of mouth. It all works for me. Thank you very much. And also a reminder, check out the YouTube channel. We have that new show for Legion of Legends out available right now on the Confessionals YouTube channel. It's called Haunted World War II, Prisoner of War Camp Gone Wrong. And also make sure you hit that subscribe button and the alert button so that you're alerted when I go live on my trip to Kentucky to hunt the dog man. All right, guys, thanks for being here. I really do appreciate it. And if you guys want to mail the Confessionals anything that you'd like, go ahead and mail it to us at sweet361. 88 Glocker Way, Pottstown, PA 19465. That's 88 Glocker Way, Pottstown, PA 19465. And that is Sweet361. Alright friends, until next week, stay safe, take care, and remember, the truth will set you free, but first it'll piss you off. Bye.
1: He, the individual that's working with uh, my friend's wife, tells her that he has a secret. So she's like, "What? what's the secret? So he's like, my uncle was a contractor uh, in Vegas, and he got a job to build some sort of containment, like a fence containment, like near Area 51. So Area 51 contracted him to do work. So he didn't necessarily work for Area 51. He wasn't a part of it. He didn't have any secret clearance or anything. He was allowed, from what I was told, to use... Certain facilities in Area 51. So he was allowed to go onto the property and go into like the Chow Hall and eat or use the restroom and things like that. But he wasn't allowed to talk to anybody there. So according to the uncle, there's scientists in the Chow Hall. There's, you know, cops. There's other military individuals in there. You know, they all have different badges with different clearances and he's not really allowed to talk again not allowed to talk you get in trouble like literally and this is not the first time i've heard this but in the child hall they cover the windows so you can't look outside the windows like you're not allowed to look outside the windows some people speculate it's because they do tests of aerial vehicles and they don't want people to see them you know um but everything is shut and you sit at your own table And the way they have the table set up, what I heard is you sit away from people. So you don't sit like facing them. You always sit in a way where you're facing away so you don't spark conversation. Um, And then in line, when you go to get whatever food or whatever, you're supposed to be a certain distance apart. But as you know, sometimes things get lax and things get overlooked. And apparently he was in line with the scientist that was in front of him. And the scientist knew who he was. And asked him like, "You're the one that built that containment unit. They called it a containment unit. That's out, you know, whatever, wherever it was outside of Area 51." And he's like, "Didn't know what to do because he's not supposed to talk to anybody." So he kind of nodded his head, you know. And the scientist was like, "Do you know what that? What that's for?" And the 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 guy nodded no. And he's like, "Well," and he whispered to him, "We're doing uh, this genetic experiment, which is the hybrid." thing I was talking about where we take splice, they splice the DNA of two animals and he pretty much told them that that's where they keep this thing and that essentially they keep it in like this containment unit outside, they put animals in there and monitor the hunting pattern of this supposed hybrid type creature. Creature.